This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. April used to be known as Autism Awareness Month. Now it's Autism Acceptance Month. Advocates pushed for that change last year, and the hope is that the small but important revision will help autistic people thrive and find belonging in our world. Joining us now to share his story is Brayden Bird. He's a 29-year-old Chicagoan living in Chatham on the south side. Hi, Brayden. Hello. Also with us is his mom, Beverly. Welcome to Reset, Beverly. Thank you. Hello. Brayden, I'll start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I was born in 11, November 1st, 1992. And um, as you know, I'm male. And my hobbies are watching TV, and I like going to movies, and I like to travel. Nice. What's your favorite movie, Brayden? I have so many. I have so many movies. <laughs> and you, you like to travel? Yes. Tell me about one fun place you've traveled to. Well, I sort of went to other different restaurants. Five Guys, JJ's, um, there was a hot dog joint. Well, it's a restaurant. Mm -hmm. and there, there's just so many. There's just so many restaurants. <laughs> and I'm just going to jump in. This is because he goes with UAS to hikes with Mike. Ah, okay. And we'll, we'll be talking about UAS uh, a little bit more, <laughs> uh, which is the Urban Autism Solutions Group. Uh, we'll get into that in just a moment, Beverly, but let me stick with Brayden for a moment because I love where this is going. Brayden, can you describe for us what life is like living with autism? Well, for me, I, 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 I can observe the people around me to see if they are having fun or they're not, not having some good conversations as much as some people that likes to talk. Like making conversations, yeah. You know, when I see people who are not socializing, and and I also have that situation as well, I'm like afraid or a little bit nervous. But when I needed to calm down, take a deep breath, and think about what I'm going to say and when I'm going to say it, mm -hmm. it's it's a good process for me to test myself and. I'm ready to take take on the challenge. Yeah. You know, I talked a moment ago about the name change to Autism Acceptance Month. What does it mean to fully accept autistic people, Brayden? Well, I wanted to say people like me have special talents, dancing, singing, acting. Mostly they just do cosplay or play video games or fans of many, many different genres between Disney and Cartoon Network, even anime. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that is my, that's my belief. And, and I want to share it to the people, mainly children or adults, and boys and girls at the, at the same time, equally. Yeah. Let's bring you in here, Beverly. Tell us more. When was Braden diagnosed with autism? I was lucky. He was diagnosed when he was 18 months first because some of the things that my... He has a twin that's typical. And 
when they examined him and tried to do certain things, he was a little bit slower than others. And when he got to be about two, because they said, I'll give him some time, that's when I knew for sure something was wrong, and I took him to the doctor, and they gave him a speech therapist and many other resources so that they could properly diagnose him. And the pin that was placed was when he had a hearing test. And they said that he could hear far above most humans. Mm. And he was two. Wow. So, And they said the, the challenge will be to, as he grows, for him to have a coping mechanism so that he could filter everything around him because he had such great hearing. And he'd be able to focus on one thing. He had to learn that. So I was lucky to be able to put him in a preschool that was a special needs preschool. And then his typical, his twin, was had a preschool there as well. But they were at the same school. I see. And that was just a blessing. You talk about being lucky that he was diagnosed at 18 months. Can you explain a bit more, Beverly, for those listening, the benefits of early diagnosis when it comes to autism? Early diagnosis is just so important, much more important than I can ever explain, because by them giving me those guidelines, I was able to look for the resources that he would need. It's easier when you have a typical child. It's just like, oh, you go to the local school, and if you don't, you pay for private school or whatever. But the fact that I found this out so early allowed me to explore the options. There weren't many in 1993, (laughs) but I was guided to a lot of different places, and I would just take him with me and see if he felt like he fit and see if it was good for him as opposed to just convenient for me. And what I mean by that is there are plenty of clubs in the area, but they may not suit your child, and you can't force him to like something just because you like it and you think it'll be good. He has to like it for himself. Over the years, do you feel like your understanding of autism has changed? Yes, it definitely has. I knew a couple of people who had autistic children, and they were nonverbal. Brayden was speaking, but it was more gibberish, so I couldn't understand if he knew what we were saying and he couldn't articulate or whether he didn't know what we were saying. But he started singing before he talked. So he would just sit and look at cartoons. As he said, he loves cartoons now, too. But he would look at cartoons, 101 Dalmatians, you know, just older cartoons that had a lot of music in it, Disney, of course. And the first time we really heard him say anything, he was humming. And then he said, you know, I don't remember the song, but, you know, I just can't wait to be king, for instance. He Mm -hmm. just blew that out. And I was like, oh, my God. So then I was like, okay, maybe music's the way to reach him. I got him into a choir, and he has been singing ever since. Once he started singing, I think he understood when we were saying different words, the context of the words. Because he might say something, but it would be one word, ball, train, look. Mm -hmm. But when he heard the music, it seemed to bring out his real voice so that he could say things and tell us how he was feeling and, you know, I could understand when he was frustrated. He would, you know, say, no, 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 no. You know, he would say things melodically. Right. You know, Braden brought up 
his uh, social skills and, and having challenges with that uh, over the years. But um, you wanted to help him build on that. And you were discouraged by some of the groups that you found out there. Um, can you talk about that, Beverly? Yes. The reason I was discouraged was a lot of the groups, unfortunately, did not have children who were verbal. So even though he liked maybe some of the activities, like they had swimming on Saturdays, and I would take him, you know, just so he would be with a group and we'd sit with the mothers. But he, as he got older, he we would, we would leave, he would say, they're not quite like me. And I say, yeah, you know, because some, some of them couldn't walk as well as he could or if he wanted to share a story, they could only listen, and, you know, they didn't have the same shared interest. They liked different things, and that's with any group sometimes. But with him, he wanted someone who was about had the same amount of activity so that they could share their experiences. And it took a while to find that. So by the time um, he was finished with school, he was 22 at that time, I was looking for something that would at least he could embrace as, yeah, I like these people. These are, and even now he'll say, you know, these people are like my family. Oh, and this and is, we, a, needed, that. we the, needed that. This is urban autism solutions that you yeah. mentioned earlier. Yeah, definitely. Brayden, what do you like about the social programs that you go to like urban hike with Mike or the monthly meetups? Well, I would just say, being with them, I can, I can understand what, what it is to being myself. And the thing is that being who I am makes me even stronger than I ever, ever before. Because in the beginning, I, I just wanted to find somebody or anybody that can share my my gifts it's not just that it's it's something about me there's a story inside of my body and and my mind i'm i'm a narrator in my own story to think about what and who or how am i going to begin it's it's a chapter to me and um the thing is that I believe that there are people out there that are like me that can share. I can share it to anyone, basically. Yeah. What What do you want people to understand about autism, Braden? Long story short, if you like cartoons or any other different kind of genres, you know, like um, films or a, a comedy, drama, action, and adventure. You you can have it. But if some but if they're not interested, that's okay too. Because there are more there are more things that you can do and I'm a, I'm not a sportsman myself mm-hmm. but I just I like doing more skills than I ever could before, like bowling, um, karate, um, cosplay, yeah, something more on the line, art and drawing. Beverly, what do you want other adults or parents to know? 
I want them to know that autism is labeled as a disability, but a lot of kids with autism are gifted. They are not a disability. They are more of an ability that's different, not a disability. They all have so much to give to the world, and you just need to give them a chance. What do you want to say to the folks who've given your son a chance? Thank you so much, (laughs) Urban Autism Solutions, and all those that we've met along the way to get Braden to where he is today. That's Beverly and Braden Bird, and we've been talking about Autism Acceptance Month. Beverly and Braden, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. We appreciate it. Let's turn now to a leading autism expert from our area. Joining us now is Lata Soria, director of the Autism Assessment Research Treatment and Services Center at Rush University Medical Center. Hi, Lata. Hi, good morning. Almost afternoon. Your thoughts on what we just heard from Braden and Beverly? Um, I don't know Braden and Beverly, but I do have to say um, it's a hard act to follow. They, yeah. uh, Braden is so introspective, curious, um, just so neat to hear his perspective and their journey. Um, and, you know, I think Beverly has done and thought everything she could for her son. Um, it's really the journey of many, many families, um, but it's a lot of work. And so yeah. that came through. Yeah, it is. Um, we also talked about what they wish people understood about autism. So can you help us understand what are common misconceptions about autism that you've come across? Yes. Um, and I think Beverly had said uh, about autism being a disability. And I think along those lines, the should autism being a disease um, is another one of these misconceptions that maybe hasn't served us so well um, in the care of people with autism. And there's, you, you heard their story, similar to many stories, um, they're medical models of lots of behavioral challenges, but um, the disease model of autism really takes it away from thinking about it as a lifelong condition and thinking about autism as something that requires sort of adaptation on everyone's part, right? Now, it's not a symptom that's going to be reduced or something that will be cured, um, but something that just is makes people sort of think and act differently and mm-hmm. might require lots of sort of flexibility in the way all of us interact. So... How is it that we can build a culture that is more inclusive for people with autism? Yeah, and I think that's really the theme of um, sort of the transition from um, our culture talking about awareness, which was super important um, over the last 20 years for us to really have this conversation now um, to acceptance. And in some ways, and I thought about I thought about this question a bit, and in some ways it's, Things that would make our society better, humanity better in general. Right? Um, I think that having a general approach that's less judgmental, that creates fewer demands for conformity, um, it helps all of us, but it really does help those of us who um, may 
process information differently, think differently, look at the world differently, make it stuck a little bit more, to have a little more grace, compassion for people who um, sort of might not get the cues as quickly as others do. Mm -hmm. um, all of that stuff would, would helps. Um, you know, I think going back to your first question about misconceptions, one of these is that people with autism aren't social, and you heard Braden's story. Right. Um, it's rarely met individuals who are not social or who are not affectionate with someone in their lives, um, but that they might take longer or do things differently when it comes to social interactions. That seems to be more of what we see. And um, when encountering individuals with autism, there's something that as therapists we think, talk about quite a bit, which is like in terms of social interactions, it helps to make the implicit explicit. Mm -hmm. And that's something in our day-to-day -day interactions, we find that maybe somebody is not getting cued to be able to articulate ourselves what is happening. Well, when you said that, that made me feel you know, X, and, um, you know, that usually is a good way to get through to somebody who's verbal and has autism, and frankly, you know, I work with a lot of high school students um, in our area, and um, I'm finding their their peers are really adapting and more understanding of faux pas, and that they are encountering a little more consideration and, you know, leeway. Yeah. when there are issues that might come up. So it's positive. And, and just listening to you, you talk there, you know, diagnosing autism, it's very difficult, right? It's a process that involves a lot of specialists and a lot of medical professionals and a lot of testing. Uh, you heard me talk with Beverly about the, the benefits of early diagnosis, but how common is it, Latha, for someone to get a late diagnosis? I've heard of instances of folks yeah. not finding out until they're adults. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's fairly common. Um, I think I heard Beverly say uh, Braden was diagnosed at 18 months. Yes. Um, which is absolutely when families start to ha start having concerns, and it's really wonderful that she was able to get the diagnosis then. Um, but the latest sort of studies out there show that about 40% of kids don't get diagnosed until after age four. So that's already late. I know we're talking even later um, in some in the uh, questions that we're talking about right now. Yeah. But after four is still pretty late for knowing that the most effective work and interventions and therapies we have um, are best started early, right? Before three, and the, when these social sort of patterns don't aren't as sort of uh, ingrained. Um, but we certainly, in a center like ours, is probably a little more biased. Um, we're a lifespan program, and um, we're one of the few places that, as a center, does diagnoses in older individuals. So we see a high demand for services in school-age kids and teens and young adults. Um, and by the time families get to us, they've been on a pretty tough path. Um, they've had social, school, other mental health challenges. Mental health challenges tend to be where in the Department of Psychiatry. So mental health challenges tend to be one of those main reasons folks come to us. They've usually been misdiagnosed with ADHD or learning dis uh, disabilities or mm -hmm. a whole host of other things. And so by the time they come to us, they're working through and untangling quite a bit of stress 
And then, you know, the yeah. diagnosis for many, not a lot everybody, for many provides some of the clarification they need. Sometimes it's a relief. Sometimes so what stressful. what kinds of because your center is is it sounds like you know addressing a lot of the gaps in autism care which is, which is great so what are the questions or concerns that your patients come to you with? Sure, um, it really depends on the age. You know, autism is a lifelong condition, and that means that at each age, what we look, what families are coming to us for is. Um, really usually specific to that developmental period in their life. But, you know, if you had to summarize it, it's really around, like, how do I keep, how, how can my child be happy? How can they be independent? How can they be cared for or feel like they belong somewhere? Um, and in little kids, that's going to look like the, how do, can we get them into school? What's the best school placement for them? Can they play? Can they have friends? Um, how do they communicate their needs if they're not verbal? And if they are verbal and they're stressed, how do they communicate their needs and develop the coping strategies to use the communication skills they have? Um, in older individuals, it's very similar, but then it's about how do they deal with the stresses of middle school and high school and um, what is the right placements for them? It's a big deal. Where are they going to get the most support? Where are they going to get the most understanding? Where are their learning profiles going to be best met? Um, okay. And I think as we as a community, um, as a culture, become more aware. It's really great to have, and I see this in our uh, families that come, the kids themselves, the teenagers, the adults are telling us what they want. And sometimes they want to be, as you heard Brinson say, like want to be around others that can make them feel heard and feel not alone. And they're choosing programs that are specialized for people with autism and other times they autism doesn't define them and they're part of they want to just be part of the community in whatever way that makes sense for them so it's pretty diverse but um hopefully that gives you a sense of that diversity yeah that is lata soria director of the autism assessment research treatment and services center at rush thank you so much for your time today thank you Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.